Not too long ago, Firefox was known as a top browser contender as it always seemed to be adding cutting-edge technologies and growing in market share. Now, however, the once widely used web browsing powerhouse has found itself drifting towards obscurity as of late, leading some to question, what happened to Firefox? Plus, I'll be jumping into a new brand story today, covering a brand that has served 40 out of 45 United States presidents. All this and more on The Rightly Designed Show. No man who cares about originality will ever be original. It's the man who's only thinking about doing a good job or telling the truth who becomes really original and doesn't notice it. You're listening to the fusion of form and function. This is The Rightly Designed Show. Hello and welcome to the program. My name is Thomas and this is the Rightly Designed Show. So if you're pretty familiar with the different web browsers on the market today, you're probably familiar as well with Firefox. Now Firefox has been around for a little while. The top four web browsers for a while has been uh, Firefox, Chrome, Safari, and Internet Explorer, which I think um, Microsoft now has a web browser called Edge. I think they kind of put an end to their Internet Explorer days and all the the uh, problems and bad connotations that go along with that in terms of its own kind of mishaps, specifically with developers. But, oh, I don't know, about five, you know, five to ten years ago, I'm, I'm not quite sure if it went quite that far back, but f- for a while there, Firefox was really uh, on the upswing in terms of the amount of people who were using it. I know for a while there myself, I actually experimented as a developer as I was uh, really starting to jump into a, a role as a web developer. I was I found myself jumping uh, into Firefox quite often. And the reason was because from a developer standpoint, they had a lot of different third-party plugins and Firebug was one of them. So you could really dive in and see the source code of a web page. I won't go ahead into too many of the the web developer details, you know, side of things. But it was a very powerful tool. It just had a lot of extensions and a lot of ways that you could expand it. Now we kind of see, we see Chrome really taking that over. Chrome, of course, has its own store. It's on its extension store. You can go in there and, you know, browse literally thousands and thousands of different extensions for Chrome. And you can do the same thing for Safari. Safari's caught up quite a bit with that. And I'm sure uh, Edge or Internet Explorer or whatever it is now that that Microsoft does probably does something comparable. But it's kind of led some people to wonder what happened to Firefox. They always kind of seem to be at the forefront of a lot of the latest web technologies. And they seem to be lagging a bit behind. So there's an article over in Recode that touched on some of these things, and it, it went over a lot of the prominent details. So I'll just read a quick portion of that. It says, until about five years ago, techies and others who wanted a speedier, extensible, more privacy-oriented web browser on their desktops often immediately downloaded Mozilla's Firefox to use instead of Internet Explorer on Windows or Safari on the Mac. But those, de- those days seem long ago. Firefox is hardly discussed today, and its usage has, has cratered from a high of over 30% of desktop browser market in 2010 to about 12% today, according to Mozilla, citing stats from net market share. 
Various other analytics firms put the share as low as 10% or as high as 15%. And Firefox's share on mobile devices is even worse at, uh, at under 1%, according to the same firm. Now, just making a quick side note here, before this article, I didn't even know that they had a mobile version. So, uh, And I'm a web developer, so that just kind of shows you the word hasn't exactly been out that, that uh, Firefox is available and something worth switching to. Uh, but anyways, back to the article. It says, today the go-to browser is Google's Chrome, which according to NetMarketShare has over a 50% share on both desktop and mobile. After years of neglecting Firefox, misreading mobile users, and putting most of its chips on a failed phone project, Mozilla said it is working hard to get Fire, uh, Firefox off the mat. Goes on, quote, in many ways, we went through a time that you won't, uh, that you don't get to survive, says Mark Mayo, senior vice president for Firefox and a member of Mozilla's decision-making steering committee. Somehow, we're not dead, and it feels like we're picking up speed and figuring out what to do. He admits that Firefox has fallen behind Chrome, Microsoft's Edge, and Apple's Safari, but says the company is executing with total focus on a plan to reverse that. For several years, we have not, uh, we have not been spending the effort we normally would spend on the flagship product, Mayo concedes. Firefox didn't get, uh, didn't get better along with the competition. Now, he says, the company has embraced the proposition that it kind of makes no sense to us and not, it kind of makes no sense to us not to have the best browser. That's because for Mozilla, which is controlled by a foundation of the same name, Firefox is its main product. The two names are, are inseparable in many people's minds and an open, vibrant web, as opposed to a world of apps and social media and search controlled by a few companies, is its main philosophical concern. That last bit may sound uh, sound like uh, idea, uh, idealistic claptrap, but it's always been core to Mozilla's mission. Mayo says he fears that big companies like Google and Apple don't care whether roaming the open internet is uh, subsumed by launching apps or by the act of searching. But he says Firefox does. Everyone else builds a browser for defensive reasons, says Mayo. We build one because we love browsers. So the article goes on and it talks a little bit more about some of the different features and things that they are planning on releasing into Firefox, which will be interesting to see. Competition is always a good thing, especially with web browsers. That's really what has pushed a lot of these web browsers to where they are today is the push to try to compete with one another. And so now we have rapidly evolving, you know, different web technologies, but for an end user, for you and for me, all that that means is you end up with a better final product. From a developer standpoint, it's great because every single day it seems like there's new technologies that are being, uh, you know, created and implemented to make to uh, enabling someone like me or uh, you know web developers around the world to be able to create more powerful feature uh, feature rich websites with a lot less time uh, and effort and energy needed to do so. So it'll be worth uh, worth watching. Um, if you're into trying out all the different web browsers, you may want to revisit uh, Mozilla's Firefox just to see some of the new features that they start working in there. So uh, again, an interesting story to follow. And again, something I'll probably follow up with as Mozilla starts releasing some of their latest features. I'm one of those people who will jump around from browser to browser. Right now, I'm currently using Safari. Uh, just because Safari seems to work pretty stably. Uh, it's pretty stable with a lot of the latest web technologies, but once Safari starts bothering me for one reason or another, I'll usually switch to Chrome 
And then I'll typically switch back to Safari, but I'll probably end up throwing Firefox into the mix just for fun. Um, today's main story that I wanted to touch on today is another brand story, as I mentioned at the top of the show. And this particular brand that I'll be covering today has actually served 40 out of 45 United States presidents. Now, in the last brand story, I talked about how uh, how prominent the brand was among many U.S. presidents. But today's brand is even more so. So again, 40 out of 45 presidents, it's a pretty good record in terms of serving U.S. presidents. So we'll be getting into that here shortly. But before I do that, I wanted to take a quick moment to let you know uh, about a free resource that I have available for you over at Rightly Designed. And that is if you have a brand or you're planning on building a brand, I've created a free assessment that can help give you some insight into how your brand is currently doing. So the goal of this uh, this particular resource isn't necessarily to scare you or to show you that you know everything that you're doing wrong. It's really to give you a quick glimpse into a lot of the things that great brands do. I've spent a lot of time over the years studying different brands and working directly with a number of brands and building brands myself to see what these different brands do well. What is the common you know, the common denominator amongst all these brands, not just giant corporations like the Nikes and the McDonald's and the, uh, you know, the Ubers and, you know, big brands like that, but even smaller growing companies that have found success and who have caught on really quickly. What is, what is the unique factors amongst a lot of those growing businesses from a branding perspective that everybody can implement, no matter whether you're just starting out or even haven't started at all? So that's part of what this assessment is for. It's to help you gauge where you're at currently and also as you're going through them, just to spur some thoughts as to how you can begin implementing these strategies that uh, the assessment covers to start building a more powerful and impacting brand. So if you'd like to check that out, you can go to rightlydesigned.com slash assessment. And again, this assessment is totally free uh, at rightlydesigned.com slash assessment. Have a question for the show? Feel free to visit rightlydesigned.com slash question or call 888-727-1496. One of the biggest differences between mediocre brands and truly great ones is the ability to move customers beyond merely buying a product into investing in the brand itself. And one of the best ways to do this is to tell a story. For many, this involves a team of skilled copywriters collaborating to develop a compelling plot and fitting their product within. For the brand we'll be exploring today, however, it's simply a matter of examining U.S. history. From the darker moments of slavery and a president's assassination to those of inaugurations and fresh starts, this brand has been in the middle of it all. Today's brand story is Brooks Brothers. It was the year 1818, and the White House, after being burned by the British in 1812, was reopening its doors. 
On April 7th of that very same year, Henry Sands Brooks opened new doors of his very own, doors on the northeast corner of Catherine and Cherry Streets in Manhattan, New York. The sign on the building was H&DH Brooks and Company. Brooks was open, honest, and straightforward with his business goals, proclaiming that his guiding philosophy was, quote, to make and deal only in merchandise of the finest body, to sell it at a fair profit, and to deal with people who seek and appreciate such merchandise. Not exactly akin to the I'm loving it or 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance, common in today's slogans, but the statement made its point in a somewhat refreshingly straightforward manner. In 1833, Brooks handed his business over to his four sons, Elisha, Daniel, Edward, and John. And in 1850, the company was renamed to the name it still bears to this day, Brooks Brothers. It was at this time the company's unique logo and trademark was adopted, described by Brooks Brothers this way. The golden fleece symbol is adopted as the company's trademark. The logo, a sheep suspended in a ribbon, had served as a symbol of fine wool since Philip the Good chose the emblem for his order of the Golden Fleece. Later, wool merchants in Europe adopted the symbol as a way of advertising woolen wares to a largely illiterate public, and the Brookses, who wanted to associate their shop with the European sartorial tradition, did the same. The ribbon-suspended sheep still remains a prominent part of the company's brand identity. Before too long, the company became widely known for bringing the ready-to-wear suit to American customers in a time when just about everything was custom-tailored. The Brooks ready-made approach was particularly attractive to the pioneers of the California Gold Rush, who were unable or unwilling to wait the services provided by a tailor. As such, Brooks Brothers saw a surge in customers as fortune seekers flocked to the company's easy suit purchasing solutions. Despite its promising beginnings, however, there were some darker spots in the company's early history. During the Civil War, the company became a large supplier of soldiers' uniforms for which they received significant outrage for what some protested was shoddy workmanship. The Brooks Brothers had a contract with New York State specifically to supply uniforms to volunteers, uniforms that were allegedly little more than shredded and sometimes decaying rags glued and stitched into uniforms. Recipients of these provisions often complained they would fall apart in the rain and become the scorn of other regiments. New York City residents being drafted didn't make the situation any less volatile, as riots broke out leading to the Brooks Brothers store being sacked. Worse still, according to a number of sources, the company manufactured and sold clothing that was specifically designed for slaves to wear. Notwithstanding the company's own role in some darker times in U.S. history, their brand was present in another historical tragedy as well. President Abraham Lincoln, a loyal Brooks Brothers customer, wore a coat especially crafted for him by the company during his second inauguration. On April 14th, 1865, however, Abraham Lincoln wore this very same coat while attending the play Our American Cousin at Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C. Sadly, this would be the night he was assassinated by John Wilkes Booth. Hand-stitched into the coat's lining 
was a design featuring an eagle and the inscription, One Country, One Destiny. As the end of the Civil War came, however, so did the opportunity for Brooks Brothers to repair their tarnished reputation. As it would turn out, Abraham Lincoln would not be the only U.S. president to prefer the company's brand. In fact, 40 out of the 45 United States presidents would become customers. Fond of Brooks Brothers' clothes, President Theodore Roosevelt ordered his dress uniform for the Spanish-American War at Brooks Brothers. Other U.S. presidential customers included, just to name a few, Herbert Hoover, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, John F. Kennedy, Richard Nixon, Gerald Ford, George H.W. Bush, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, and yes, it is widely speculated that number 45, Donald J. Trump, wore a Brooks Brothers suit for his inauguration, according to numerous reports. In regards to U.S. presidents, the company itself adds, In more recent years, U.S. presidents have had differing political visions, but one thing they've had in common is their patronage of America's finest clothier. It's a relationship that's continued right up to the present day, and one that will undoubtedly continue into the future. Upon the completion of Grand Central Terminal, possibly better known as Grand Central Station or just Grand Central, Brooks Brothers relocated to 346, its present flagship location. The surrounding area had become the preferred location for New York's most prominent university and social clubs who clamored for a Brooks in the neighborhood. Brooks Brothers kindly obliged. During the economic downturn known as the Great Depression, the company weathered better than did most retailers. In fact, they were one of the few to extend credit to those in need, a credit that was repaid in full by every last customer, even if it took some time for some to do so. Running the company from 1935 until its sale in 1946 was the last member of the Brooks family to head its operations, Winthrop Holly Brooks. The company was acquired by Julius Garfinkel and Company, although Winthrop Brooks remained with the company as a figurehead for a time after the acquisition. John C. Wood became the director of Brooks Brothers, and it is said that the company became even more traditional under his leadership. As time progressed, Brooks Brothers continued to set trends and revolutionize the clothing industry, creating the original button-down polo shirt, woman's polo coat, Harris tweed, sack suit, Brooksgate suit, and even an early wrinkle-free dress shirt. Many such styles have been adopted into a wide variety of clothing brands today. By 1971, 11 Brooks Brothers stores were in operation and located in Manhattan, Chicago, Boston, San Francisco, Pittsburgh, Los Angeles, Atlanta, Washington, D.C., and St. Louis. In 1998, the company took its fine apparel online with brooksbrothers.com. After the fateful day of September 11, 2001, the company's then-owner made a promise to reopen their Liberty Plaza store, damaged in one of the terrorist attacks as, quote, a matter of principle. The store reopened as promised one year later to the day. In 2006, Brooks continued its tradition of trendsetting by releasing The Regent, its first new suit silhouette in 40 years. Using the suit as a basis for future product releases, 
it became the first in what would become known as their 1818 collection. An even trimmer suit, the Fitzgerald, so named for Brooks customer John Fitzgerald Kennedy, would join the collection two years later, according to Brooks Brothers. Today, Brooks Brothers continues to be a leader in its class through a continuation of its time-honored tradition of creating finely crafted, unique clothing of a wide variety. Woven throughout the fabric of American history, Brooks Brothers serves as yet another example as to how telling a story, even one that has tragic twists, can turn the simple act of buying a suit into pages of history. build a better brand through the fusion of form and function. This is The Rightly Designed Show. Okay, so hopefully you found that a little bit interesting and useful going through a little bit of the history of Brooks Brothers. So if you've never heard of Brooks Brothers before, hopefully that just gives you a little bit of an introduction into their brain. And that is really what they're known for. They're known for outfitting uh, nearly every single one of the United States presidents in history. So quite the accomplishment there. Even though they may have some darker patches throughout their history, they've definitely uh, turned into quite the uh, recognizable and powerful brand of today. In fact, if you'd like to learn a little bit more, what I've gone through today has been really some of the basics and some of the more general topics of their history and kind of a a broad overview, I guess you could say. But if you go to their website, they actually have an interactive map or an interactive timeline, I should say, that goes through from the very beginning of the company's inception all the way to current date. And it doesn't just highlight the things specific to Brooks Brothers, of course, it does say when they've come out with specific types of clothing or when they've changed trends or new things have come out and the different prominent presidents that they've served and things like that. It does have those, of course, but it also has just U.S. history throughout. So it's got the, the specific dates uh, and, and major events that have taken place throughout U.S. history right there alongside their company's history. So if you're a history buff uh, like me, I'm a I like to look at history in depth, as you might be able to tell with some of these brand stories. But if you're interested at all in history and or even just learning a little bit more about how Brooks Brothers has evolved and has come out with a lot of new products and some of their strategies behind that, how they've changed the industry, you can check that out at their website. And I do have a link to that, specifically to that, uh, to that timeline in today's show notes, which today is going to be rightlydesignedshow.com slash 43. But one of the other things I wanted to touch on just briefly is how powerful a story can be when it comes to solidifying your brand with uh, potential customers and clients. So it's not as though it's not something that uh, you would really want to kind of leverage or, you know, use it as a cheap marketing trick. Uh, But something that really stands out about their brand is the fact that, you know, Abraham Lincoln wore this Uh, this brand you know it was something that I really liked to wear and something that really does stand out in the minds of people is the fact that he was actually the horrendous crime of John Wilkes Booth was actually perpetrated uh, when he was wearing that coat 
So again, it's not necessarily something you would want to use as a cheap, again, a cheap marketing trick. But that is a story that's something that happened in U.S. history that, again, solidifies that not only from a branding perspective, but it solidifies that in the minds of the people who are aware of the brand. So one of the things that we can do in our own brands is to ensure that, you know, we actually tell a story. And one of the reasons why that's so powerful when it comes to building a brand and why Brooks Brothers, again, has become such a powerful brand in the minds and in the eyes of different, you know, of different of today's culture is because it places the, the customer, the consumer right there with you. So again, the Abraham Lincoln example is a tad bit more extreme. Um, but if you have something that, you know, it's highlighted throughout presidents, you know, throughout history with a number of prominent people throughout history. It shows people that there is a level of confidence that people are placing in that brand, which they then can in turn place in the brand as well. So that would come from a, a more you know endorsement type level. But with someone building a new brand or wanting to establish or reestablish a brand, telling a story can be a powerful way to place someone in the position of someone else using the brand. So telling a story can push someone in the direction of a brand, not necessarily um, because it can be in part because the brand is or is not superior to other brands, but because the story that is being told is showing them that this will solve the problem or meet the need that you particularly have because, look, it did so for Bob or it did so for Sally or it did so for this person. So a big way that you can begin to strengthen a brand or solidify a brand in the mind of customers or potential clients or prospects, is to show your solution in the way of a story. Now, that can be done through something as simple as a podcast or, you know, an, uh, even just in the copy on your website or something through a, a video ad or something like that, or even throughout all the different resources and things that you offer. Telling a story has a profound impact when it comes to solidifying a brand in the minds and in the hearts of the people that you're trying to reach. So again, a lot of different things to learn. Again, I'd recommend that you check out the Brooks Brothers website. Just go through that timeline. It's really neat. It's very well designed and uh, very interactive. And again, today's show notes can be located at rightlydesignedshow.com slash 43. As always, if you have a question for the show, you're more than welcome to visit rightlydesigned.com slash question, or you can give us a call. You can actually just leave a message right there as though you were recording it on the website. You can just call in at 888-727-1496. Again, that's 888-727-1496 if you'd like to call in and ask a question for the program. So as always, I would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to The Rightly Designed Show, and we'll see you next week. Enjoying the Rightly Designed Show? Please consider taking a quick moment to leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or the channel of your choice. Visit rightlydesigned.com slash show for links to these channels and